Okay, at this moment, I have the privilege to introduce you today to uh, our speaker, our senior pastor candidate who have, have expressed a call to become our new senior pastor here at East Point Christian Church, Dustin Fulton. Dustin is married to Kristen for 14 years. They have two children, Tyler, who is nine, and Nora, who is eight, presently living in Omaha, Nebraska. In 2001, Dustin was ordained at Westside Christian Church, Springfield, Illinois. In 2000, Dustin earned his Bachelor of Art degree in Bible at Hannibal LaGrange. So say it quickly. Yeah. Hannibal LaGrange, LaGrange University. <laughs> in 2006, Dustin earned his master's degree in divinity at Lincoln Christian University. Dustin has over 20 years of ministry experience, has led churches ranging from birth of 140 years old to the size of 85 to 600 in average worship attendance. Dustin has, Dustin has led building and stewardship campaigns, has overseen in the hiring and leadership of more than a dozen staff members, and has been a successful senior master. Dustin also started new community service and, and missions organizations. More than anything, Dustin loves to communicate God's word clearly through creative preaching that is faithful to the Bible and calls people to impact their communities by living out Christ in practical, everyday ways. Please join with me in giving a warm welcome to Dustin Fulton and his family as, we sh as he shares the word of God this morning. Well, I should just let him give me an introduction, and I don't preach after that, so that makes me sound a lot better before I get up here and ramble. Uh, but hey, uh, it's great to be with you all. Again, my name's Dustin. My wife, Kristen, she's, uh, we've got a picture up there. Uh, so my wife, Kristen, she, here, her and I are both farm kids from central Illinois, and uh, so we, um, yeah, actually, I met her in Las Vegas uh, is when I met her. Uh, which is an interesting story, but you don't get that story on week one. you got to come back for week two or three before we share that story. Uh, my son Tyler, he's nine years old, but he just turned five foot tall already, and uh, so he's going to be a tall one. And Nora is eight, and they say she gets her good looks from me um, because uh, her mom still got hers, and I don't. So... Um, being farm kids from Illinois, we are fighting Illini fans, uh, which is fine because they haven't been relevant in decades, so we should be okay. We generally root for OSU when they are playing, which is good. Um, but what we will tell you is that there has never been a day in our lives where we have ever rooted for Michigan. So, I'm sorry, did I just cuss? Did I just say the M word there? I apologize. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, so, so one of my favorite activities every Christmas is to read the Year in Review magazine when it comes in. I think every magazine has a version of it, but to go back and to look and just think back of all the things that happened, who won the championships, who, uh, who died, who got elected, all those things, some of the things that we often forget. 
But I tell you what, I'm thinking about skipping the 2020 edition when it comes out. How about you? Is anybody with me in that? I mean, it has just been one thing after another. Uh, and, and for us personally, it, it's been kind of rocky as well. January and February were just fine, but then in late February, I headed to North Africa. I took a group of students out there. I just started a new career in August uh, as a professor at Nebraska Christian College. And uh, so we took a group of students over there in January, or excuse me, late February, right when coronavirus was breaking out in Europe. And I kind of called home to my wife and I was like, hey, like, this is starting to get serious over here. We had to fly through Europe to get there. The last four days I was in North Africa, I got what I can only describe as deathly ill. I knew enough about coronavirus to know it, it wasn't coronavirus, but I lost 10 pounds in four days. It was not pleasant. Now, don't worry, I've put my Corona-19 back on since then. Uh, but, but I actually had to be hospitalized my last night in North Africa uh, in a hospital where they knew, I said they only knew big English. Because the only English I heard when my translator wasn't there with me was when a nurse came in and held up a needle that looked like it was from the 1950s horror movies, about that long, and she held it up and she said, big. <laughs> and it left a big bruise on my arm for about a month afterwards, but I did get home. Uh, and then after getting home, we found out that all of our students were going to be sent home for the rest of the semester because of coronavirus. And then a couple of weeks later, we found out that the school that I had just started teaching students for ministry in, Nebraska Christian College, was going to be closing its doors permanently in May. And so we were one, I was one of the victims of the job loss as a result of everything that happened with the coronavirus. 2020 has not been a great year, at least the first few months of it. And it was in those times where I'd love to say, God just spoke so clearly to our ears. But that wasn't really the case. There were a lot of times in there where we felt like God was very, very silent. You've been there before, haven't you? Through some of the toughest times when you wish that God would speak the loudest, it seems like he is silent. And it's been in this season where uh, the story of Esther has come back to me. Uh, and if you know anything about the story of Esther in the Old Testament, uh, you'll know that Esther uh, is, is about 470 years before the time of Christ. And it's a people who are living in exile. The, the Jewish people had been in exile because they were ran out by the Babylonians, and then the Persians took over. So uh, some of them, after the Persians took over, some of the Jewish people went back to Jerusalem, but Esther is among some of those people who stayed there in Persia. They're not the most likely people. They didn't take a step of faith to go back to Jerusalem. And maybe you feel like you're not one of the most likely people to be used of God as well. Maybe your family lineage isn't great. Maybe there's something in your past that you're ashamed of. That didn't stop God from using Esther, and it won't stop God from using you. And so here's what we have in the background of the book of Esther. Here's what happens in a nutshell. I'm just going to give you some of the characters. First of all, we have the Persian king. I'm not even going to bother you with his name today because I actually forgot it, uh, and uh, so I'm just going to call him the Persian king. Is that okay? 
And so what happens is that he has a big party where he imbibes a bit too much, uh, and he asks his wife to come uh, and to parade herself in front of his fan club, if you will, because she's very beautiful, and Queen Vashti says no. And so the king wants to send a message to all of the women in the country, uh, and so basically what he does is he dethrones his queen. He fires the queen. Good luck in that happening in today's world, right? But it happened back then, and that's where the story takes place. And so what happens is that the king decides that he needs to find a new queen. And so what does he have to find a new queen? Does he have an intelligence contest? No, he has a beauty pageant, because that's what kings tend to do. And they had a beauty pageant, and that's where we pick up this story. There's a Jewish man who's a very faithful man named Mordecai. Mordecai's a brave man. We're going to see him as a hero who actually saves the king's life later on in this story and ends up saving all the Jewish people. That's not even foreshadowing. That's telling you how the story ends, but that's okay because we're concerned with the middle of the story today. And so Mordecai is not only a brave man, but he's also a humble servant. His niece, Esther, her parents die, and Mordecai adopts her, in essence. He was the caretaker. The uncle became the father in this case. Mordecai has this idea where he says, hey, Esther, you're beautiful. Why don't you try out for this beauty contest? Let's just, just say, ladies, if you have an uncle that tells you you should try out for a beauty contest, you should probably practice social distancing from him, okay? Let's just, let's just get that out there. But in this story, it's actually okay. It's a different culture, different time, everything else. And so here we have Esther, who is quite beautiful. She's the third character we see. She hides the fact that she's Jewish and goes and joins this beauty contest, and she wins, which is where I have something in common with Esther because I once won a beauty contest. Actually, I won second prize in a beauty contest, uh, and I got $10 of Monopoly money for it, so we have that in common. But then we have the bad guy, Haman. He's the Persian who not only tries to kill Mordecai, but devises a plot to kill all of the Jewish people that are living there in Persia. And so this is where we pick up this story. Mordecai, the faithful uncle, the faithful follower of God, he steps up in the midst of this. But there's something that I forgot to tell you that I want to tell you right now. And that is that Esther is one of only two books in the Bible that never mentions God's name. The other is Song of Songs, and I don't dare preach on that on my first Sunday in front of you, okay? I think you all can appreciate that. But here in the book of Esther, you have what it seems to be the silence of God. And in the first few chapters of the book, you ask yourself over and over and over again, is it ever going to mention God? And it never does. And yet, in the midst of the silence, God somehow shows up. And so here's what I want to suggest to you this morning when we talk about this, is that God often speaks the loudest right after he has been strangely silent. And so and if you're in that period of time where you're struggling to hear from God this morning, I want to tell you that that's okay. Some of the most faithful Bible characters and some of the most faithful Christian witnesses throughout history have struggled with times when God is silent, and I am one of them. 
But what I will tell you is that it's out of this silence where God tends to speak the loudest and the clearest. So how do we act when God is silent? Because this is our story today. We can't just get to the end and say, well, eventually God spoke up. What we have to do is look at the characters and say, well, what did they do when God was seemingly silent? How did they act? And so I don't have time to go through all the book of Ruth, or excuse me, Esther, or Ruth with you today. That'd be two books. But when we look here, we see, I'm going to give you three commands that we see in Scripture. The first one is that Mordecai winds up going and telling Esther, hey, you're the queen. You should speak up. You should speak to the king. And, and Esther comes back, of course, and says, hey, like, I can't do that. If I speak up and the king doesn't invite me, I haven't seen him for a month, then like, well, he can actually kill me for that. But that doesn't stop Mordecai from saying, you are in a unique position because all the Jewish people are going to die if you don't speak up. And similarly, we see that when we see times of silence in our world, in our church, in our culture, it is an important time for us as Christians to say, hey, who can we speak up and encourage to godliness? We're not talking about speaking up and taking back power or anything like that. What we're talking about is how can we encourage fellow Christians around us to live their lives for Christ in such a time as this. I'm foreshadowing again here. We'll get to that scripture in a minute. We need to speak up and speak into people's lives around us who have a God-given potential in them. Do you see someone with God-given potential in your life? That if they just had a little encouragement, they could truly live for Christ? If you're a parent, you've probably got them sitting right next to you. If you've got grandkids, you know they're right there as well. Maybe it's someone else that you can speak into an adult believer's life to help them take the next step of faith. We all have had people who have spoken boldly into our lives that we are here because of what they have spoken into our lives. It's our turn. It's our turn to speak up and to speak into people's lives. Well, the next thing we see is that uh, here in the book of Esther, and we're going to dive into a passage of Scripture here when we look at this in Esther, the fourth chapter, verses 13 and 14. Not only does Mordecai speak up, but he calls Esther to step up. Okay, here's what it says here in verse 13. It says, Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you are in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. In other words, God's plan's not going to be thwarted. At the end of the day, for us too, God's plan's not going to be thwarted. There's going to be a day when Jesus returns and when we are all resurrected to face judgment. That's not going to be thwarted no matter what we do. But at the same time, that does not excuse us from stepping up and serving others in our community and living for Christ in our world. He goes on to say, but you and your father's family will be destroyed if you just sit there and do nothing. Who knows Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Church, it's time to step up. 
It's time to recognize that this, this is a season in our history when the world needs us desperately. One of the things that really drew us to East Point is the diversity that's represented here. Because Sunday morning at 10 a.m. is still the most segregated hour in America. And with everything that's happened, East Point, we have to recognize that this isn't just a church who's acting diverse, but this is a church who has been diverse for many years already. You guys get it. It's time for East Point to shine its brightest when our country is at one of its darkest moments. It's time for us to truly live out and to see the value in every person, no matter what country they're from, no matter what the color of their skin is, and to say, God created this person in the image of God, and I'm going to see the image of God in them before I see anything else. Amen? And what I have found is that the way that I can value and see the image of God in somebody else, I value someone else best when I am vulnerable myself. I'm not talking about being morally vulnerable. I'm talking about being vulnerable in some of my insecurities and some of my fears. Being vulnerable and being willing to stand with people who maybe might be on the opposite side of the political spectrum normally. Being willing to say, hey, you know what? I don't care who you vote for. I care that you're creating the image of God, and I just want to hear your story. Do you know how we say I love you in today's world more than anything else? When everyone has a voice to post all of our collective wisdom in social media, we show our love when we listen. We show our love when we respect someone enough to hear their story and to listen to them. And they will feel loved when we listen. That will start to begin that walk of trust. And so we said we need to speak up, we need to step up, but then here also we see Esther's response, and her challenge to us is to pray up. Esther was talking through one of her servants to Mordecai, and so she sent this reply to him, because she couldn't text him back then, because iPhone hadn't been invented and all that other stuff. And she says, go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. Interestingly enough, I'm not even sure if her female servants were Jewish or not, but she's calling them into this journey with her. Fascinating to me. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. And so Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. And so after we speak up and we step up, we see here in this story that we need to pray up. We need to be a praying people. Let me, let me just say, I think that we tend to have people in our churches who are doers, and we tend to have people in our church who are prayers. Maybe you identify with more, you know, one of those things more than the other. What we need to recognize is it's not about having the doers over here and the prayers over here, but it's about having the, the prayers teaching the doers how to pray and the doers teaching the prayers how to do and working together, right? Does that make sense? 
That, that, that's called the balance of the Christian life. We're not just super spiritual people. We also serve. We're not just servants. We also walk with the Lord. Like both of these things are vitally important. They're not polar opposites, but rather they come together and they come together in the person of Jesus Christ who practiced both. And if you think that East Point can be a light, which I do, I will also tell you that just like in the book of Esther, we will face hardships. And we will face persecution. We must be a praying people. We do not find our strength in our bank account. We do not find our uh, strength and in, in the security of our job. But rather, we find our security in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. And so we must pray up. John Lewis, the great uh, civil rights leader who just passed away this, I believe it was yesterday or the day before, he had a famous quote that was an African proverb. It says, when you pray, move your feet. <laughs> I like that, right? When you pray, you better take a step forward in faith as well. And the American abolitionist Frederick Douglass, he said, I prayed for 20 years but received no answer until I prayed with my legs. The reality is, is that we need to pray and that we need to move. It's not an either-or proposition. It is a both and. And so this is where the middle of the story of Esther is most important because the people of God move forward and then we see out of the silence God speak up. Instead of the Jewish people dying, we actually see this man Haman. He had built these gallows uh, where Mordecai would die. And instead of Mordecai and the Jewish people dying on these gallows, instead, in a great reversal, Haman dies on the very gallows that he made himself. God showed up in the midst of silence. And for the Fulton family, God showed up in the midst of silence as well. We knew we had a call back to be a senior minister. That was our calling. There was no question about it. But we didn't know where. And in mid-May, we were invited out to East Point to have a conversation about whether it was here or not. We still hadn't heard from God. We fell in love with the people here. We fell in love with the leaders, with the staff, with all the ministry leaders we met one night when we were here. But yet we didn't have a strong sense of calling yet. And so before we left town, Kristen and I parked in the parking lot right over here outside the new entryway. And we just prayed and we said, God, we don't feel like we can tell this church, can you wait a month while we figure things out? And this wouldn't be right. And we said, we need to say no. We need to say no, and we need to trust God that if this is his plan, he will open up the doors again. And so we regretfully said no, even though it was the right thing to do at the time. And then we went back to Omaha, and America changed. George Floyd was killed. There were protests that followed. There were riots that ensued. And all of my friends on Facebook all of a sudden became race experts. I had no idea how many of them there were. <laughs> and in the midst of it, I looked at Kristen just a couple of weeks after we'd been out here. And I said, do you think if all of this had happened while we were at East Point that we would have been able to say no? And we said, I don't know. I, I don't think we would have been able to because we started to see what a golden opportunity and a golden calling that it is to lead a diverse church 
when there are so few of them in the world. Then we started to get messages and phone calls randomly from people encouraging us in this direction. We were just like, what do we do with all this? And so finally, just like Esther, we said, we need to pray. And so we set aside a week where we would pray and fast. I didn't fast like the whole week, as you can see. But we fa I fasted over lunches and we prayed. And um, we just prayed for God to make it abundantly clear. God, you've been silent. Will you speak clearly now? And during this week of prayer and fasting, I don't have time to tell you everything how God spoke. But there was one day where, uh, towards the end where I was interviewing with another church. They wanted to be their only senior pastor candidate. They, I mean, they had a lot going for them. They had no debt. They had uh, way too many staff. They had all these things. It was closer to my family. Uh, and in the interview, uh, in this church, it's a great church, but um, they were asking me about some of our applications to ministry, how we would handle different things. And I started talking about race. And I started talking about the need for Christians to come together. And as I was talking about it, I was almost at the verge of crying passionately. And, and I looked on the screen at that time, and I saw eight white faces around a table. Good-intentioned people, but there wasn't any diversity. And I knew right then, man, I've got to call East Point. <laughs> I've got to call him. I walk out of the interview, and Kristen said, how'd it go? And <laughs> I kind of walked through it with it, and she hands me her phone and says, look at the last two messages I got while you were in that interview. One of them was from Audra Norman here on staff, just checking in to see how things were going with us. Another one was from a gal who helped us plant a church in Omaha, Nebraska, who's known us for six years now. And she just randomly said, have you guys thought about doing something where you can work to help different people from different races come together? Have you ever thought about leading a church that's involved in something like that. <laughs> uh, we just sat back and, and we didn't know whether to laugh or to cry because the God who had been so silent was suddenly speaking very clearly. Isn't that the story of Christianity? The God who hung so silently on the cross that Friday even when insults were hurled his way, and yet he quietly trusted his Father. Even when the disciples scattered, even when the thieves cursed him, he hung there silently. And yet on Sunday, God spoke clearly and victoriously when he rolled that stone away from that empty tomb. Amen. East Point, it might feel like through the last year or year and a half here at East Point that God has been kind of silent. I understand that it hasn't been the easiest time. But what I will tell you is that God has been working clearly behind the scenes. And he, I believe, is ready to speak quite clearly in the coming months and the coming years so that we can continue to be a light for the east side of Columbus, Ohio. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Let's pray together. God, I, I thank you for the silence. 
I thank you that you, um, that you let us go through a period of silence so that we had to listen more clearly to you. I thank you for the times of silence that we see in Scripture and with Esther. But God, in the midst of it all, I know that you have been preparing us and that you have been preparing East Point to be able to reach our community in a dynamic way. And so, God, I pray that now would be a season where you speak clearly, where you show that you have had your hand in control of things all along. And that just as you rolled away that stone on Sunday morning, Lord, that you would push us forward in the power of the resurrection to serve and to love and to give and to share with our neighbors who are so desperately in need of the hope that only you offer. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.